0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Atypical Behavior Analyst, your place and space to hear conversational information about the science of behavior analysis. I am your host, Kelly, and I am so excited to get into this special birthday release episode. But first, some quick housekeeping. We are ACE approved, so if you're listening for continuing education units, jot down the two keywords and are spur starting to talk, and then take those over to our website where you can purchase CEUs speaking of our site you can locate us at atypicalba.com there you'll find additional resources citations and references for each episode and more information about each of our guests next if you'd like to stay up to date with upcoming talks live events engagement you can find and follow us on instagram facebook and linkedin and you can find all the links to our social medias in the show notes below lastly stay tuned after the talk for a preview clip from our next episode okay guys We have been celebrating ATBA's first birthday throughout the month of March, and it culminates in today's episode. So in episode 26, we're meeting with Awab abdel Jalil to discuss Dr. Israel Gold Diamond and the many applications of the constructional approach. So Awab's going to provide this fantastic breakdown of the constructional approach, data collection and logs, and goal setting. We also had a chance to meet up after the talk to review questions and comments from the live chat. So make sure to listen all the way through to hear Behavior After Dark. So grab your towels, adjust your earbuds, and get ready to learn as we dive into episode 26 What Does It Mean to Be Constructional? with Awab Abdel Jalil.
1: I'm going to take a sip of coffee. Everyone, grab your beverage. Happy Friday,
0: loves. Welcome to Atypical Behavior Analyst on a Friday morning, well, central time, afternoon if you're on the East Coast, evening if you're over in the UK. Welcome. It's going to be a good day. And here's why. Because we're going to talk nonlinear analysis, gold diamond, and the constructional approach with Awab. So, welcome to a typical behavior analyst. I am your host, Kelly Tate, and again, I am so stoked to actually be finally getting to talk about one of my favorite things. In case you couldn't tell, so as we are getting started. Um, Just a quick little bit about the pod. We kind of developed ourselves looking to expand the knowledge of behavior analysis outside of disabilities and autism and kind of what the general public thinks we do the most, because there's a whole lot of cool things that we do as a science. Um, So if you've checked out any of our previous episodes, we've talked fitness, we've talked schools, we've talked um, organizational behavior management. Uh, cognitive behavior therapy—that was a fun one—and um, now we get to dive into the world of Gold Diamond. So, uh, welcome, Awab. Thank you for joining me. Um, and if you could, you know, introduce yourself and give us a little bit of background uh, and tell us, you know, what's your behavior analytic story? What brought you here, and and where are you going with what you're doing?
1: All right. Well, thanks for having me. First of all, and when I tell my story, it usually runs long, so if it's getting boring, you know, feel free to speed me up. Um, I started as an undergraduate at the University of North Texas thinking I was going to do psychology uh, because, you know, I had no clue what behavior analysis is. So I, one semester, I was like, what class should I take next? And I was looking at some electives and I saw a class called um, Science, Skepticism, and Weird Behavior. And I'm like, well, I don't know what this class is about, but it sounds interesting. And I don't know who teaches it, but I'll just take it, it sounds fun. So I took the class and it turns out that it was taught by uh, Dr. John Pinkston, uh, that's a throwback, Kelly. I don't know if you remember him or not, but uh, he's, he's not at UNT anymore, but I think he's at uh, New England or Western New England now. But it turns out he was a behavior analyst and he was teaching that class and he didn't really mention anything about behavior analysis that I can remember. But it was just about science and it was really interesting and I enjoyed him as a professor. So the next semester I went and searched and I was like, let me just see what else this guy teaches and I'm going to take whatever else he teaches. And it turns out that he he taught uh, an advanced behavior analysis intro class. And I was like, well, not sure what behavior analysis is, but I'll take it just because he was a cool guy. So I took it and I still remember that first day in class, he introduced behavior analysis as a natural science which was very different than what everything I've learned about psychology, not, you know, to start this thing off with throwing shade. But I'm just saying from my interpretation, what I've known about psychologists was very different. It was all, you know, parsimonious. It was in- empirical. It was all like real stuff that you can see and manipulate. And just from his intro that first day, I remember walking back to my car and you know how far parking is from classes at UNT. So I had a few minutes to think about it. And I was just reflecting on it and thinking, and I was getting really emotional. I'm like, I think I found the thing I actually want to do. Like this, this sounds like it, like this is the thing. So I went and added a a behavior analysis minor and ended up taking all the behavior analysis classes, you know, the intro ones, classes with Tracy Sheehan, Shala, of course, um, and really getting into it. And I went and bought a few Skinner books, Walden Two, Beyond Behaviorism, Science and Human Behavior, and just dug in and was all in from there. And you know Tracy really had a big role in, in where I am now because she, her lab, the teaching sciences lab was my first lab I was involved in and started really learning about this and trying to teach it to other uh, undergraduates as an undergrad myself still. Um, and then of course, since I was so passionate about it and my undergrad was coming to an end, I was like, well, what am I gonna do after I graduate? I don't know, how about I do grad school here? You know, behavior analysis seems pretty fun. So I, Applied didn't think I'll get in because my GPA was terrible, but I got in thanks to you know some good letters of rec that I got from Tracy, and some others, and uh, I got in. I was still in, the, in TSL lab mainly, and that's where I started hearing about the constructional approach. And I'm like, okay, well this stuff it sounds really interesting and it, and it fits perfectly with the stuff I already know from Skinner stuff. This is like the next step. This builds right on it. This isn't necessarily brand new, but it's like an extension. It takes it further. So I was like, this is great stuff. And I'm asking around, like, where can I learn more about this? And people are like, well, Jesus, uh, you know, Dr. Jesus Rezalos has a, a lab called constructional life design. And it's all about the constructional approach. And at that point, I haven't, you know, officially met Jesus yet. So I remember just walking down the hallway all nervous and scared and just walked into his office, you know, he's going to be a little intimidating before you get to know him. And I walk in and I'm just like, hey, can I, you know, just come sit in on your lab? Like, I want to learn more about this constructional stuff and what can I do to prepare? And he's like, sure, you can come. And here's a chapter, chapter in social casework that you can read to introduce you to the constructional approach and just show up and, and learn from people. And I showed up, ended up spending my whole you know, rest of my grad school career with him in that lab, learning about the constructional approach and and trying to do it with some undergraduate students. And he introduced me, of course, then to uh, Joe Lang and Paul Andronis, and you know they furthered that understanding of the constructional approach even more. And of course, Jesus like Jesus is the is the base to everything I know. Really, like I I'll, I can never thank him enough for that. Um, and his class, of course, was my first time really being exposed to all gold diamonds literature. You know, he has a class VIP behavioral intervention programs and it's all gold diamond readings, right? I mean, I think there's a couple of Gilberts in there, but really we're talking mostly gold diamond. And that was, again, the more I read, the more I loved it, the more I wanted to read even more. Um, talking to Joe, talking to Paul, seeing where else this can be applied and really like just pushing the limits on that. So after graduating from UNT, I ended up doing my thesis with Jesus on uh, schedules of reinforcement. I was like, well, where can I go next with this? And I was really always interested in the uh, clinical psychology world and thinking, how can we take the constructional approach back there? Because that's where Izzy was. That's where Gold Diamond was. Um, and so I, I tried to uh, go to a clinical psychology program and that you know didn't last long. It was supposed to have like a behavioral um, uh, like it was supposed to be a behavioral approach to clinical psychology, but I found it to be too psychological for me. So I left that program. And at that time I was talking to Joe and I'm like, well, where, you know, what should I do here? What can I go? And he connected me with the people that I work with now in Florida, uh, uh, Eastern Florida autism center. And the director there, um, Shelly, her official name, her real name is Rochelle, uh, yike. And, uh, She, she's, she, she was being mentored by uh, Joe. So Joe was like, this could be a natural fit. You can go down there, help them out, see what they're working on. So I met with her and I met with Jonathan Amy, who also helps out there, uh, but he also has his own thing going. Um, And I talked to them and I'm like, what can we do here? And they're like, well, you know, we can start a parent program a lot of these parents need help themselves other than the parent training that typical you know BCBAs provide to parents about their kids how about you come here and you can start applying this constructional approach to the parents and i was like well this is a great idea and i started looking at the literature and there really isn't a lot there when it comes to helping the parent out as, as a human, not just as a parent. There's a lot, and, and there is some newer stuff, especially in the ACT world, which I give them credit for that because at least they're looking at it. But it's still, it's still very much um, your parenting behaviors. Like it's, it's not, there's not enough just looking at the parent as a person. Let's address what do you have going on first? Let's talk about that, let's talk about your whole life. And then maybe after that, you can actually concentrate more on the kids and apply what you're learning here to the kids and to applying that stuff, but that's on the BCBA side, not on me. So so that's how I ended up now where I'm doing, where, where I am now and what I'm doing is working with the parents on the constructional approach. I'm also doing a portal, which for people who aren't familiar with it, it's the Portable Operant Teaching and Research Laboratory Uh, You know, Jesus uh, and Mary Hunter, you know, came up with the thing and they have a whole manual for it. So I'm doing it now with the people at the center, you know, everyone there, all the RBTs and BCBAs and teachers, and we're enjoying that, learning a lot from it. Um, We're reading Gold Diamond together, you know, have like, we're trying to build like a lab type community where we can all meet, talk about a reading, you know, people can ask questions, discuss, see the implications of it and whatever they're working so it really gave me a really a good environment to be able to take this stuff and just start generalizing. Like whatever you have, let's let's apply a constructional approach here and see how it works. And that's, yeah, that's that's where I am now.
0: I think that's why I dug um, gold diamond so much was the the general generalize. I'm going to make up words here, today guys, because it's Friday. The generalizability. There we go. Um, It's fantastic because it can, you can look at it from, you know, the cyclina from like a kiddo perspective and look at it there, but the application of the parents, because they're the ones that are dealing with it more than we are, you know, they're the ones that are present and they have their own competing contingencies. And then you can take it and you can look at it in a business setting or, you know, it's, it's so cool to look at the multiple ways that it can be used. And you stated it really nicely that it is this nice bridge between the clinical psychology, I think, and the really behavior analytic world, um, because there is a lot of internal stuff that goes on. You know, as someone that has anxiety and depression, like I have to be very aware of what my internal state is. And so the constructional lab was fantastic for being like, Let's, what's my mood been doing lately in some of these classes? OK, what are some things I need to try out? Um, Jesus would pull me aside often and go, my friend three environments. You have to have at least three environments. And uh, this office shouldn't be one of them. And I'm like, oh, but I'm really good at being in this office. But yeah, it went, but it took someone and then me taking my own data to really start to, to look and see that kind of change and that kind of impact. Um, so as I'm now talking about nonlinear analysis and how we take data, let's jump into that. So can you give us, um, you know, you, you and TV Jo Lang, um, and Trent Codd and Paul Thomas Andrones all wrote this lovely blue book. So if you guys have not picked it up yet, I highly suggest you throw it in your Amazon cart. Um, it's delightful. Um, but yeah, can you kind of give us the, the background of Gold Diamond and then what that looks like with the constructional approach and nonlinear analysis and we'll kind of just go from there.
1: Yeah, I'll give you uh, an abridged version of that because his history is pretty long and actually Masa and Sean, my friends who are here, uh, they're working on like putting together like a, an autobiography of sorts for him. And, you know, they've contacted his kids and some of his former students and, you know, all of that should be available soon. Hopefully within this year, uh, they're going to put it all together in this in this thing on their uh, on their website, constructional approach to animal training and welfare. So I, I believe I'm getting it right. So it's something like that. Um, so, so I'll just give you the short version of it, but basically it started from the, from the 60s when Gold Diamond and two other guys, so Gold Diamond, of course, has the contingency analyst, and this story is told in the first chapter in the book if you want to like really read it at length. Um, but he's, he was working with two other guys, Dyred, a guy his, his last name is Dyred, he was a psychoanalyst, and Miller, he was a social uh, psychiatrist. So all three of them were working together Seeing each other's clients, each observing the other when they're working with clients, and really taking a control analysis strategy to this: what can we change? What can we manipulate? And see: are we getting the thing we want? Are we not? Okay, change this. And after session, they would discuss it between them. What does anyone have feedback for the others? And really, they put in years. This was in the six, and there's a whole paper on it, which is referenced in the book. But it's called uh, "Some Applications and Implications of Behavior Analysis to Psychotherapy," where they really dive into this whole thing of how they came up with this. Um, So it was very much based on real life and seeing real clients and seeing, are they getting the progress that they came here for? Are they getting their goals? Are they getting what they wanted out of this? Um, So they came up with the constructional approach from there. And of course, it wasn't anything brand new. If you look at the elements of the constructional approach, it's very similar to program instruction. And there's some quotes from from Skinner that you can dig up and find in in Science and Human Behavior, where he even mentions the construction of repertoires. Like, this wasn't anything brand new. It was more like, let's formalize this and put it together so that people can use this and actually, you know, get somewhere with their clients and get people what they're after. So that's kind of the the history of the constructional approach and how it, it came about from Gold Diamond. Um, what was the other part of the question that you wanted me to talk about?
0: And then kind of the, the nonlinear analysis side and kind of the basics of that.
1: Okay, yeah, so that also came from that and from the laboratory, of course, like there was a lot of studies on that and just seeing how, if we look at the behavior linearly, linearly, if we just look at the incident behavior in consequence, a lot of behavior isn't gonna make sense. Like we're going to look at some behavior and be like, well, this ha- why is this even happening? This makes no sense. The guy is getting punished for this. Or, you know, this, why would this happen so costly? So you really have to consider what else is happening. What would happen if the person didn't do this behavior? What are the other contingencies here? What are the available alternatives that this person can do? And again, it applies to the the experimental world too. Like if you look at Sidman avoidance and that kind of literature, and you start looking at it and you're like, why, you know we're not seeing an explicit consequence for this rat pressing the lever. Nothing is happening after he presses the lever. But if you look at it, well, if he doesn't press the lever, he'll get shocked. So all other behavior got punished. Now you're left with just one. So you really need to look at those layers and the other contingencies and the other uh, alternative behaviors that people can engage in to make sense of these patterns that that you're going to deal with, that we all deal with in our own lives and in the in the lives of the clients that we help. So it's a it's a similar background there. And if you want, I can go into a little bit of what the the constructional approach is. Do you want me to go there now? Sure, I think it'd okay. be fun. Cool. So in a nutshell, you know, it has five main elements. So it starts with the the. T- the terminal repertoire. So it almost starts with the end. The first thing we wanna find out is, as Gold Diamond said, where do you wanna go? So the first question we would ask is if everything was perfect, if you got exactly what you wanted out of this program, what would your life look like? And that's really gonna be our guiding question throughout everything is let's get that vision of what do you actually want that ideal life to look like so we can know what we're working towards. And of course, that outcome can't be the elimination of something because the elimination of something, you know, some people say, I wanna get rid of this. The problem with that is it's, it's an indirect approach to try to produce desirables. You're taking a chance. Okay, I might reduce this, and then you might feel better afterwards. But also, you might not, and something else might come up. But the way, the, the, the direct approach to it is, tell me what's desirable, so we can actually work on producing that for you, rather than just taking a chance and saying, okay, well, we'll get rid of that. We don't know what else is going to happen, but we'll get rid of this. No, tell me really what would that life look like, and within that first question, we really want a thorough picture like when i'm when i'm meeting with parents and asking them this i give i have them give me the whole rundown so like give me a weekday and a weekend tell me what you would do from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed like really give me that picture imagine everything in your life was going the way you wanted it to what would that look like and then of course after that you ask them how does that compare to where you are now so you can get an idea of wh- where are you and where do you want to go so it's a it's, a, it's a, a big question that might seem simple, but it actually ends up uncovering a lot. And of course, there's some strategies within that question of like asking them, you know, if a Martian was watching, what would the Martian see, right? Because you really want them to get descriptive and tell you what exactly is it they're after so you can work on getting that. The next part, which I already kind of touched on, is the current relevant repertoire and the resources. So where are you now? What skills do you have? No one comes in blank, right? What are we going to build on? What are the repertoires that you already have? Are you good at journaling? Okay, good. Well, now we can we can build on that and get you to, to take some logs for us. Um, do you have good communication skills? All right. Well, I can see that fitting in the program this in this way. And also, what resources do you have? What's your support system? Do you have people who are going to be supportive of this change in your life? Can you depend on them? Have they? Who are the people who have helped you in the past? Um, who also? Who else would be interested in this change? So all these questions come here to really get. A picture of where are they now, what repertoires am I building on because I'm not ever starting from zero, and what resources do you have that I can work into the program when we're on the way to getting your goals. And then the on the way to getting your goal, that's the next element, so the change procedures. So what are we going to have to do to get you to that goal? And, you know, there's a lot that you can do here, but they can be summarized in three ways. So either the construction of a repertoire. So this is the thing you want. Let's work on shaping this up, starting from where you are. Or the transfer. That's, that's a really interesting one because you'll find that a lot of people have the skill that they want, but they have it in a different area of their life not in the area that they want. So in that case, let's just work on transferring that to where they want it to be. Or reinstatement. So a lot of times we ask, when was this problem, was this problem ever not a problem for you? Or have you ever solved a problem like this before? So you're trying to get an idea of, have you ever done the thing you want to do now? And how can we bring that back and reinstate it? And then within that program, the next element is the maintaining consequences. So what's going to maintain your progress in this program that we're going to do? And here, the important thing is to really try to ascertain what are the things that are important to these people that would keep them going in this program without needing to use a lot of extrinsic reinforcers. So, you know, in some extreme cases, of course, like you can use some extrinsic reinforcement, but we want it to be really driven by you wanting to get to your goal. So how, what are these reinforcers? We want every step in the program to be a reinforcer for doing that step and to getting closer to that terminal repertoire. So that's a really important part in, in thinking about and considering what are those consequences? How can I make sure they're contingent on the progress within the program? And how do I make sure they see it and they come into contact with it so it can actually function that way? Which takes us to the to the last element of it, which is the monitoring progress. So how are you going to tell where you are along the way as you're moving towards your goal? And a big thing that we use here are the logs that you mentioned before about Jesus, uh, you know, using those, of course. And, and for his class, we're all required to do it for two weeks. And we all really learn something really good about ourselves doing that, whether you have a problem or not. It's very informative. Um, but. There's several types of logs, but I'll talk about one that's the most general one, but it's called either the exploratory log or the event log. So people are asked to log from the beginning of their day to the end of their day every day and write down, you know, the time frame that that the event happened in what did you have planned for that time frame did you actually do the thing you have planned if not what did you do instead who were the people who were around and where were you like what was the location and then any comments notes or emotions that also goes there on the log which again very informative um so what that enables us to do is really get a good picture of where you are in the beginning so we can work on that plan, but then also, how are you moving along the way? Are you coming into contact with, with the things you're supposed to be? If not, what can we change? This is, this is There's never a set plan that you're for sure going to do this the entire way. You start with your best guess based on the, the data you, you have, but and then there's always adjustments along the way. And so we look at it we see is this person actually doing everything they planned if not what's getting in the way you you talk to them about these every week when they bring them in cuz this is something that's part of the program the whole way and you know you get a lot of people who are like well that's a lot of work you know what's going to make them do it and it's it's inter- i i haven't had that trouble working with parents at all and and we all can imagine if not know from personal experience how busy parents are let alone parents of kids with with disabilities like it's a They're very busy, but it's interesting to me how they've all been more than willing to take these logs, fill them out and fill them out thoroughly and bring them to session. But it's because they're informative to them. Like I don't just they don't bring them in and I say thanks and set them aside and start talking to them. I say, thanks, I'm going to go run a copy of this, give you a copy. I'm going to look at a copy. Let's go through this row by row. That's the that's I would say 80% of the session is just going through these logs. Okay, so I see here you said you felt angry. So what what was going on here? Like what did, was there something you felt like pushing away? Was there something you were trying to get, get away from? What, what went on here? Oh, I see here you said you were anxious. Was there any th- requirement that you felt like you couldn't meet? Is there, did you feel like you weren't certain on what was expected from you in this? So you start building that repertoire for them. To, to for their emotions to be indicators for them so that when they feel a certain way and, and experience certain emotion, they can start reflecting and being like, oh, maybe there's something unclear here. Maybe there's a requirement I'm not clear on. And they can actually take control of their own life and start looking at these things. Because ultimately, of course, that's the goal. We want them to get their goals that they're after. But also we want by the end of the program for them to be able to be their own contingency analysts. That's that's really the outcome. And, and I was, I was really, you know, I was so happy. It was one of my biggest reinforcers ever when one of the parents one time came in and was like, well, you know, this week she wasn't assigned logs that week for, you know, certain circumstances that don't, aren't really relevant here, but she wasn't assigned uh, logs that week. But when she came to meet with me the following week, as soon as she sat down, she pulled out of her bag, a whole, a full set of logs, hand-drawn, like on, you know, with a ruler and a pencil on, on notebook paper. And I was like, that's perfect, right? That's exactly what we want. You see the usefulness of it. The environment gave you an SD of, oh, this is a time where my logs might be helpful. I know he didn't assign them this week, but let me pull them out, draw them out, and I'm gonna fill this out so I can actually have something that, that'll tell me what to do. And, and those are the kinds of things that tell me, all right, they're getting that repertoire. That's what we want. We want them to be able to do this on their own. We don't want them to be our clients forever. you know. You hear people saying, I've been seeing my therapist or counselor or whatever the person is for six years. They're just the greatest person ever. And I'm like, well, you know, that's interesting. You know, it's interesting that it that that the goal was never, or apparently was never to like have you doing this stuff on your own. That's definitely always the vision that I'm looking at. So that's kind of the 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 constructional approach in a nutshell there. Um, so, if you have any follow-ups, you can go ahead. I'll take a drink of water here.
0: That was beautiful. Um, that, yeah, that was that was fantastic. So, a, a lot that I want to kind of go through. I think, again, one of the the reasons that I love constructional approach and nonlinear analysis is it can work with very complex repertoires and very complex humans. Um, and so, I started really noticing that application when I started working with adults with disabilities because these were people that have years and years and years of histories built up um, mm-hmm. and and they're convoluted and they're kind of twisted and contorted because of a lot of them have been in multiple environments so they've been in foster care situations and then we're put in group homes and residential facilities and so you know, you act this way in this situation and this way in another situation. And then, you know, they kind of fall into our lap and it's like, oh, oh my, there's a a lot of unraveling we have to do here. It's not quite as easy as escape from a demand. Um, There's Mm -hmm. trauma histories and things like that. And so being able to talk with somebody in such a way, and that's why I like the prompts that Gold Diamond gave, because it does lay it out in a much more layman terms. Like, if you've not noticed, um, we have an alien as our mascot. And that's our subtle nod to gold diamond, because that's kind of what we want to remind ourselves is that, yeah, I, I want people to be able to talk about their environment in such a way that they're going to understand it and not just, you know, have rhetorical responses or, you know, just, written, you know, um, a cookbook responses of like, oh, this is what they want me mm-hmm. to say, because, you know, yeah, our goal should be to eventually Go fly, go fly on your own. Um, you know we joke that I want to work myself out of a job because I want people to be thinking behavior analytically. you know I had a similar experience where I had a parent tell me, yeah, I just want to get a bracelet that says, you know WWkD on it. What would Kelly do? And I was like, oh okay. <laughs> but thank you I'm glad that when something happens, you don't react anymore. you stop and you go, okay and it's not it's not about what I would do. It's more of just being that constructional mm-hmm. analyst on your own taking apart what's going on in this environment. What's my response to the environment? And I think when it comes to the parent side of things, that's really cool with this because working with adults, like I said, now, a lot of them are still at home with their parents. And so we're looking at a 30 to 40, to 50 year old individual living with their 70 to 80 to 90 year old parents. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, And there's a lot of very uncomfortable conversations that have to happen because no one's had them at this point of, you know, what would it look like if they were having a good day? And it's mm-hmm. not like you said, it's not just, well, they're not hitting or kicking. It's like, no, 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 no. I need you to tell me specifically what would they be doing? And the, and the way the constructional approach works is like, it it eases into that conversation and you do start to get a better feeling of, okay, it's not just the behaviors that you want. There's also kind of this social environment or a look to it that you may, you know, be desiring. And that's fine. We all have our preferences. So it's just the matter of of how we look at those.
1: Yeah. It's really interesting. And you bring up the the parent thing because it's been really interesting working with parents because, a lot of times also a, a difficult question seems to be, you know, cause they, they, they start off, of course, wanting to talk about just their kids' goals, but I really try to bring it back to, to them. And I'm like, okay, so if your kid was, was behaving the way you want your kid to behave, what would you be doing? Right? Like that, that to me is, is an important one that people a lot of times don't think about. Cause again, it's, it's negative reinforcement. You just want to get that down. But the question is, what would you be doing? instead of what you're doing now, if your kid was doing that and really getting them to think about themselves and think about what they want out of of the the program. And um, you reminded me when you said, what would Kelly do? Uh, Gold Diamond talks about in one of his papers, one of his uh, uh, clients who had schizophrenia and he was working with him for a while and he went out of town. uh, The client did. And he had this thing where um, one of his the, the, the client's fingers was um, broken and, and it was crooked a little bit. So every time, sometimes the client would find himself just staring at that finger and he would just stay, stay right there, get stuck where he is until people come get him help, send him to the hospital. Um, so he was out of town and something happened to him and he was laying in in the hotel room on a bed and he noticed himself just staring at his finger. And, and the, you know, later when this guy met up with Gold Diamond, he was telling him the story. He said, when I found myself right there, it reminded me to ask myself, well, what would Gold Diamond say right now? What would he say to me? And he said, he would say to me, what are you after? What do you actually want right now in this moment? And he was like, so I asked myself, what do I want? right now in this moment. Well, I want to be taken to the hospital, but why? I want to be looked at, looked after. Okay. So so what can I do here instead of just sitting here and waiting on someone to take to the hospital? Well, I have a sister who lives down the street and she's he describes her as motherly and she loves taking care of me. So how about instead of waiting here until an emergency happens, someone has taken to the hospital, how about I just walk down there and ask her for some help? And he ended up doing that and reporting later to Gold Diamond about it. And again, that's the That's what we mean when we talk about self-control and self-knowledge. It's about being aware of your contingencies, being aware of your emotions as contingency descriptors and being able to then do something about it, right? It's a little beyond accepting them. It's about taking the information and saying, well, what can I do with this now? How can I harness that information to get me what I'm after to actually get to the root of this and get to the consequence that I want.
0: In a much cleaner way. And and I think, Teachable way too, as opposed to like, oh, so do you feel like this? Yes or no. Which I catch myself doing that to my clients. Oh, are you feeling happy today? Yes. What did I really just teach? I taught I didn't teach anything, as opposed to them giving us the response and being able to put those contingencies together. Oh, that's a rad story. That makes me happy. So cool. Um, okay, so some of the things I kind of wanted to unpack each piece of it um, a little bit more. So we talk about like the terminal repertoire and everything. And I think this one we've unpacked a fair amount already. But just if you have any further comments, I know, again, through the practices that I've gone through, um, working in different environments, so working with children, working within schools, um, and now like I said, working with adults, it's Interesting to talk about that terminal repertoire um, because mm-hmm. for us, you know, we want to. I want to teach skills, and that's why I think a lot of people. Um, this is my personal observation. I like working with littles because littles acquire skills. It's super reinforcing to watch a kiddo learn to hold a pencil, to write their name, to talk, to do all of these things, and they're usually kind of squidgy and cute. When we get when we when we're adults, like we're not as cute. I'm not gonna lie, um, and we don't learn skills quite as quickly, it seems. And the really tough thing, too, is getting the people, the caregivers involved as well to realize that, hey, these are things that need to be practiced on a more regular basis. And that's where, you know, having this kind of overlay of, you know, so in your day hab or in your group home, what do you want it to look like on a day-to-day basis? And having that kind of conversation to see, you know, and this may sound a little bit harsh, like, do you just want everybody to be quiet and engaged? Um, or do you want there to be activities? Do you want people doing these things? Because I feel like a lot of us come across, well, I just want everyone to be happy. Cool. Good start. That is that is a thing. Now, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. So, And then we can start unpacking it and realize maybe happy isn't the word we want, you know, engaged is more of what they want or active, you know, things like that. And that gives us a better idea of what those potential actual behavioral goals can be. And then I think lead us into, you know, sometimes it's just an environment change. It doesn't have to Mm -hmm. be a major like program overhaul. So um, with a lot of the parents that you're working on, you know, if you don't mind sharing, what are some of the goals Um, that the parents are working on for themselves. Cause again, it's tough. Like, yes, I want little Jimmy to do well in school and everything, but when little Jimmy's engaged in homework and I have downtime, you know, that, that separation. So what are some of the Mm -hmm. things that you, that your parents are working towards that you might be encouraging them to work towards?
1: Yeah, it's it's very, of course, as you already know, it's very individualized. Like I I, I try to get an idea of actually what what is it they want out of their life? Like what do they want it to look like? A lot of it, of course, involves like peace and happiness around the home. Now, again, what does that look like? is gonna differ for a lot of people. But of course, as you can imagine, people have kids and some people like one kid or multiple kids uh, with disabilities or some of them with, some of them not. It it can it can get a lot. And then you see a lot of marital type issues with people. And and you know, we know how high divorce and those kinds of things are in those communities. Like it's it's a really tough life that they're trying to deal with. So I try to find what are things that you like doing? And a lot of the stuff they haven't done in years. So how can we fit it in? Like, how can you find the time to actually do these things that you that you like doing? And and when it comes to the peace and happiness at home again what does that look like like who who would you be doing these things with what would your kids be doing so it's really it varies a lot but a lot of it is just what are you after let's try to let's try to get you there and I wanted to touch back to go back just a few minutes on on your point of like the the wide application of this and you know not to be uh, pushing the NCA book too hard here and, and self-promoting but really one of the <laughs> One of my favorite things about the book is the references at the end of the book. I mean, you'll see several pages of gold diamond references to where you can actually go back. You know, a lot of people before this book was out would ask, like, where can I learn some about some of this gold diamond stuff that I ke- keep hearing about from Jesus and Joe and Paul? Like, they just talk about the stuff. It sounds magical. Where can I actually go get this stuff? And now there's one place where you can get a taste of it in the book. And then if you want to dig deeper, which I hope everyone wants to, hit that references list hard and go after each one of those and go in and you'll see the wide application of this that used to be and what is. So as I mentioned schizophrenia was a big area that Gold Diamond worked in and Joe and Paul back in the day with hallucinations and delusions and there's a whole paper just on that and how it relates to nonlinear contingency analysis and verbal behavior um, you know from 1984 which you'll find in the back of the home and the, in the back of the book and then group homes you know there's a a, a paper that joe has i think it was his first paper actually 1967 uh, where he talks about applying this in a group format at a group home where where everyone would everyone all the whole group would meet together and they would problem solve with each other and they would you know read their logs and they would go over things together and set goals to get like he took this whole constructional thing and said, can I run this in a group? And it worked, of course. So it's pretty cool. And then there's papers by Gold Diamond in uh, about, you know, working with a case of Tourette's, working with a case of bulimia and taking this nonlinear approach and not just looking at, you know, what happens right after the episode of bulimia, like right after you vomit, what happens right after, what happens right before? No, but looking at alternatives and what else would you be doing? What? else do you have that you would actually want to be doing during the day when when these episodes are happening? And same thing with Tourette's, of course, you know, we know it has biological bases, but still, operant contingencies are always there. When is this happening? What are the environments when it's happening? And again, right back to the logs what's happening right afterwards? Can we teach more effective ways of getting these things? And, and there were other things within it that directly targeted the, the Tourette's, you know, the motor pattern, but there was also some nonlinear stuff in there. So you can really dig deep and see how that was applied there. And then of course, currently like in the autism world, of course, you know, Shala and Jesus are legends. And you know, I don't need to say more about that. That's obvious. But you know, and then we're trying to bring some of that in the clinic that that I'm working with with um, with with Shelly and and motor work with Jonathan, Amy, who I've mentioned before, and then with parents, the stuff that I'm trying to do now, and, and trying to. Explain Fans that. And then gerontology even, you know, there's a a paper, I believe it's 2014 uh, by uh, Claudia Drossel, where she talks about behavioral interventions being the first line in dealing with anything to do with the gerontology community. And she cites the constructional approach throughout that paper, the 1974 paper, and talks about how this could help so much in this world. And then there's several examples of organizational cases, even in the book of stuff that Joe has done back in the day, like at hospitals and, and that kind of work. And then a huge community who's really been all over this constructional stuff has been the animal training community. It's been, it's, it's really impressive. You know, there's several book clubs going and, and the, the, how deep they're diving into this stuff is really impressive and amazing. Of course, you know, ORCA, Jesus' lab organization for reinforcement contingencies with animal, of course, that's all constructional. Um, and then uh, the, the constructional approach to animal welfare that I mentioned in the beginning, that's another area where there's huge, you know, constructional stuff going on there. And then now we're, tr- we're, we're going to be giving a, a talk at ABBA about this, about a nonlinear uh, contingency analysis of assent and consent. Because that seems to be a hot topic now, right? But a lot of what's out there does seem to be quite linear. You know, some of it varies, but a lot of it is pretty linear or almost topographical. Like, are you getting approach? Well, I can get approach under a lot of different contingencies, right? If I withhold reinforcement enough, I can get someone to approach me. But is that actually a sense? So we start getting into degrees of freedom and alternatives. How many other ways do people have to get this reinforcer that you're holding? So really, you know, the applications are very broad currently. And if you look in the history of it, you'll also see how it was applied all over the place.
0: Hello, listeners. If you are here for CEUs, here's the first of your two keywords. The first word is own. O W N. We're going to teach people to become their own contingency analysts. I love, I love, like I said, there's so many ways it could be applied. And for things that a lot of us can find scary, um, schizophrenia is very overwhelming. Um, and I, I've worked with a few clients that have a schizoaffective disorder. And it's, um, we have did a lot of talks about, you know, what what do you want to be doing? And sometimes it was just as simple as like, I just want to be able to stay safe. I just want to have a place that I can go when I don't feel well, or I feel upset. And I'm like, that's rad. And, and we, we built on those things, which can we, yeah, let's go ahead and and kind of roll into, into that a little bit um, of, of building on these repertoires. And I think that's something that's again, important across the board is making sure that we don't just focus on what we're decreasing and what we, you know, Mm -hmm. need to get rid of, but, you know, we all come with strengths and it, and it may be something that's, you know, hidden, or it may be something that like we say, it needs to be transferred to a different situation, but it's, it's a good skill set to have. It's just not, maybe not being Mm -hmm. utilized in the best way. Um, So what does that process look like? I mean, for some, you know, you can go and do an assessment of like, what are your, do you like doing this? Do you like doing this? But like, that's not super engaging. And that really doesn't tell us a whole lot about the human. So what mm-hmm. does that process look like um, for you? And then in that, in the constructional realm as well.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's based on, of course, the, the answer to the first question. So what I try to keep in mind is what is it that we're after? And now I'm asking questions to try to get the strengths and the, and the, the current relevant repertoire as it relates to that. So yeah, um, you know have, have you ever done something like this before uh, do you have connections to these people do you what resources do you have but it's all connected to what is it you're trying to accomplish like um so it's it is very specific like i mentioned journaling that's a that's an amazing uh, current relevant reference to build on especially to try to get logs and if we're talking um like um interpersonal relationships. Um, well, what? who are some people that you do feel comfortable talking to and where, where you feel like you're, you're getting what you want out of the conversation? Okay, what does that conversation look like? Look, you know, what are some of the topics that you enjoy talking about? That can also be looked at. What are some things that you're interested in talking about? Where can you, do you have access to communities where you can talk about this thing that you find interesting? All these things, it's like, I want to do more activities with my family. Okay, what what activities do you like doing? What activities do you find yourself doing now that you can, so we can come up with a strategy to bring them into that, right? And, and people usually, it's, it's really interesting, once you start digging deep and asking those questions, you can usually find a lot that you can build on. And, and really, through the logs, you can also find a lot of that, because some people might not see it as a strength. So it's hard to pull them out of it just in a questionnaire. So that's, that's fine. Let's take some logs and let's see, oh, you said you never talked to anyone, but it's interesting. Here I see that a couple nights a week, you actually, you know, you had a phone call with one of your friends. How'd that go? Was that something you enjoyed? Would you like to do more of that? Or would you like to go out? How would you like that to look? And really getting all of those strengths from the stuff that we see in the logs. That's why really the power of the logs can't be, it just can't be overstated because you can get a full picture. Like you can actually do a functional analysis of the stuff that you're looking at, but you're getting a a real picture from there. The, the ecology that they exist in, not detached from it in a room by themselves and seeing what functions as what. You're actually getting a good picture of this person as a living, functioning organism. And of course, we're always taking the, the, the attitude of the behavior is always right everything that these people are doing is rational. And we're trying to find that rationale. We're trying to find the sense in their behavior. So we can be like, oh, well, of course they're behaving this way. It's actually very effective. Like you look at it and it's costly. And you, you're like, well, who would want to just sit in bed all day and, and and be sad? But when you look at it, well, that seems like the only way they can get people to come help them. Well, yeah, I would be sitting in bed too. Like it really, there's, you're never looking down on these people and just thinking like, wow, that's, you know, that makes no sense. Why would they be doing that? It's the opposite. You're you are like a detective looking for, if this is happening, then there's contingencies for it. Let's go find these contingencies and try to see how can we give them access to these reinforcers in other ways? What are some repertoires that we need to build? Which connects back to your original question then. That's the repertoire. What are some prereqs for it that I can dig around for and see if I can build on, on them? So a quick example, just uh, that one one that was mentioned in the book is a case that, that Joe worked on back in the day of a guy who... Um, his home organization skills were pretty bad and he really wanted to bring people over to his house. But he's like, I'm ashamed of how my house is organized, especially my kitchen. It just looks terrible. Everything's all over the place, but I have no idea how to organize a kitchen. How am I going to do this? So through, you know, some questioning and logs, it turns out this guy actually works as a mechanic and in his mechanic shop, when Joe asked some questions about this, it turns out he has a very nice organizational system for his tools. He has his toolbox set up in a way to where the tools that he uses most are towards the front and in the more accessible drawers. And then the ones that he uses less are in the back. And the ones that he barely ever uses have their own box over there. So that was a case of a transfer of repertoire, right? Okay, so you have that organizational system going there. Can we replicate something like that for your kitchen? So, so really, like, that, that's what I mean. You're really looking for things that, that you can see. This is something where I can just push it a little bit more, and it can start going in that direction that I want it to go.
2: Wow. I, I, thank you so much for the logs, because when I've been using it with parents, especially for them to hear that the behavior is rational, that it's, it, it creates like almost this eternal hope that nothing is not solvable. Like you can always find the solution. It's hard and it can be difficult, but with, with the logs, you're, you're always able to take it back to well. there's a solution here and that creates a lot of hope for families. That's amazing how much those logs matter.
1: Yeah, I, I agree that they, they can be really empowering, especially when people see it and start seeing how like it does make sense. And okay, I was anxious here, but I'm not crazy for being anxious. No, this anxiety makes sense after this, Uh, time period, what came right after that was a pretty stressful meeting that I wasn't sure if it was going to go this way or that way. So it makes sense. You were unsure of that requirement, but how can we change that in the future to where you get an idea of what that meeting is going to look like so you can be more prepared for it so your repertoire can meet that contingency requirement? Like it really, it it makes people feel like they have a handle over their life and it's not just them living in randomness. It really kind of gives order and sense to, to the life that people are living.
2: It really does. And the, and the examples in the book are really helpful for me, too. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah. Oh,
0: I love it. Yes. Um, there's been, you know, discussions about, you know, between the logs and everything. And okay, I'm going to try to focus myself down because I'm like, oh, there's like six things I want to go on. The first one is, um, as we've been talking about the logs, I realize that there's a bunch of probably behavior analysts screaming right now, like, oh, my gosh, self reports. Chill out. Chill out, people. We'll, we'll come back to that. We will come back to to this little discussion about self reports and the logs, I don't want to get myself super distracted that we don't finish, you know, just kind of piecing and adding together with um, the bits of the constructional approach. So we'll put a, bit, a little tag on the logs and discussion about self reports towards the end. Um, but with these terminal repertoires and the discussion about how powerful the logs are and the information that we get out of them, you know, it, it is, it's liberating is what I saw. It gives the parents hope. It gives the caregivers hope because so often it's like, everything's just bad. You know, they're acting badly. Everything's terrible. And like, yeah, when you look at their life, it, it, it is, it sucks. Um, you know, it's really tough because there's a lot of competing contingencies. They're looking at their friends and everything like that and seeing the lives that their friends get to go live. And, you know, they can just jump on it. Well, they can jump in their car and go on a road trip. And like, if we we can't do that, because I don't know if they're going to have a seizure on the way, or if they're going to get aggressive, and we're going to have to pull over. So, you know, being able to understand the contingencies, and then the emotional things that go along with that, for these caregivers, and give them a chance to kind of work through their own stuff without stepping over our boundaries. Like we're not counselors here. Like, I don't want you to come and Mm. tell me your childhood trauma. That's not Mm. me. But I always like to say, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. And it's the same thing with like, so if like, if the parent is struggling, then they're not going to be able to run programs effectively. They're not going to be able to take data as effectively or, you know, you know, follow our treatment recommendations because they have their own things that they're working on. And that's something that I think a lot of us can tend to forget. And I don't want to say it's because working with kids, but kind of working with kids, their are shorter learning histories. Um, and maybe the child's at the clinic for eight hours a day, as opposed to you're in the person's house and seeing life. Um, I know working in the homes really shifted my perspective because I was like, oh, people live differently than I do oh, okay. Um, Cause you know, I was used to a clinic setting and like used to my mm-hmm. own life and, and yeah, and being able to tease apart those things and realize that, you know, what I do with the child one-on-one is impactful, but also when they leave and I'm no longer present, like what are the other SDs in their environment and yeah. what are the SDs for those SDs kind of deal. And so mm-hmm. all of those things kind of filtering down. So I, I love, I love all of that for the Yeah,
1: it really, it really is interesting because like when you're working with a kid, a lot of what you're, what you want the kid to do, you're training within the session, right? but when i'm working with parents the stuff we're talking about and working on is stuff that's going to happen outside of my little room that i meet with them in right so the, that's really where where you see how how great the logs are is because you're you're bringing a part of that in with you so i can look at that and i can look at the organization of your day and i, I can look at your everyday and get a, a better picture and and just so we're not over focusing on parents and and I, I want to give another example just to see like that the applications of this are are beyond anything, beyond just doing it with parents. Or like when I was working with a student at UNT in Jesus' lab, um, she was this was a really interesting one, and I, I didn't get to work with her for a long time because you know you know the nature of how semesters are. But we a really interesting finding as it relates to logs was she was a marketing major. She really wanted to do business stuff. Is is how she introduced it to me and she, she was filling out logs and I, she brings in her logs one time and I'm looking at them and she was taking four classes that are related to business stuff. So intro to business, uh, economy, whatever, marketing, other classes like that. She was taking one class that wasn't related to business stuff at all. It was, I believe, a geography or something like that. And I was looking through her logs and going through and I noticed in all of the four classes that relate to business, her emotions or comments uh, column was always tired, sleepy, bored, stuff like that, right? Which you just expect that in general from some college freshmen. But beyond that, the interesting thing was in the geography class, every time, interesting, excited, you know, so, so, and the pattern was re- it repeated on so many days to where I was like, seems pretty significant. This is interesting. And it was interesting to me that, so when I kind of tried to like, point her in the direction of noticing it in her logs and seeing that pattern. She was taken aback by it. Like it wasn't, even though she's living that life, she didn't see the pattern until it was on paper in front of her. And then it really got her to question, am I in the right major? Do I actually wanna get into marketing, right? Which was a a really good thing to learn about yourself in the first year of college. I mean, we all know some of us changed our majors, you know, 10, 20 times. So if you're gonna learn that in your first semester as an undergrad, that could be pretty informative, right? I mean, you could really be like, why am I sleepy and bored in every one of these business classes? But this random geography class that I took just to meet a core requirement, I'm interested in it, right? So it could be really informative for everyone, even on on something that's that's that simple. It can be still so informative and tell you a lot about yourself that you just didn't notice before.
0: And it's a great skill to take with you because Mm -hmm. um, I know that like I don't, keep logs per se anymore but i'll definitely have certain weeks where i'm like "Mm, my brain's feeling a little bit weird let's just let's just track some things and see and see what's going on so i don't have to have quite as much you know visual in front of me i can do a lot more of it now but i've also been doing this for like 10 plus years so but so did she switch her major Now now i'm curious
1: like I said, it was unfortunate because it was the end of the semester and we were working through a different program, so I never got to follow up on it. But okay. I hope she did what made her happy, though, because it was that pattern was so obvious and right in front of us for two weeks in a row, to where it was like this can't just be a fluke.
0: That's fantastic. My head cannon is now she's like exploring volcanoes somewhere, so that's <laughs> nope. that's where we're gonna go with it. Cool. Okay, so that was discussing like those relative repertoires and talking about some of the terminal things. So the third part of the constructional approach is these change procedures. Um, so really, I mean, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on it other than like it's not like writing um, a behavior intervention plan or a behavior support plan. It's it looks different. Yeah. So go ahead and can you break down what this process is? So now that we've identified what the goal is, what we have available for us, and then now how do we get there?
1: Yeah. So based on that goal and, and where we are in the picture that we get from the log, we just start thinking about where do we start the shaping? And also a, lo- a lot of what I'm seeing is a lot of it is shaping. A lot of it is paying attention to stimulus control. W- under what conditions is this just not even a problem? And under what conditions is this very much a big problem? Like that, that tells you so much. And then that, that goal that they want to get to, that terminal repertoire, where do you see parts of it? It doesn't have to be the full picture, because if they already had the whole thing, they wouldn't be coming to talk to me. But where can I see some of it? Where can I see some some like seeds or kernels, as Jesus likes to call them, that I can that I can start growing a little bit. So you really start looking for. Is there so you're having a problem with this person who lives in your house? Is there any little tiny interaction that I can see that I can build off of? So Gold Diamond, you know, had that example in the Gold Diamond videos that we had to watch in Jesus's class uh, called uh where do we go from here? Uh, you know, he has that whole series that we watch, and he has the example of the 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 lady who came in and just said, "I hate my stepchild." You know, I I don't I don't want to deal with him. I just don't want him to live with me. And he started with something so simple, just in well, where's a a time of day where you just have any interaction with this kid? And it was during setting up the table for dinner. So you just had them start off with, how about you hand him the napkins and he sets sets them down on the table. And just starting from having that one neutral interaction, now you can build on it. And then she's ended up teaching him how to set up the whole table. And then telling his dad when his dad came home and his dad was so proud of him and happy. So you, you can really grow these things just like that, just by seeing where can I start? Where's that little control? that I can find and then expand on, right? Because it's, it's hard for it to be zero, right? There has to be something. And if it is zero, then okay, let's find where that first tiny step can be, that little pleasant interaction, if we're talking interactions, that I can start growing And getting a little bit more off of it and starting with those little loops as jesus calls them and then making those loops bigger and then and then growing that repertoire that we actually want to see so a lot of it is paying attention to stimulus control and then just shaping and making sure the steps are actually achievable and that achieving them would be a reinforcer for people like i when, when they come and tell me something like i'm really trying to see are they excited to tell me that they did this thing like are they coming in like yes i did the thing if not then this just might not be something you know, this might not be worthwhile for them. So like, we really want to make sure that these, that they're moving towards it and that they can meet these sub goals so that they can keep moving along in the program.
0: Um, One of the questions that popped up in my chat was, we, we take data on the logs and everything, but now that we're looking at making these kind of changes, um, are you having, are you, do we still have the parents or whoever it is that we're working with take data, not just on the logs, but on this new thing? Or what is that? What does that data collection process look like?
1: Yeah, no, the parents aren't aren't tasked with with more than the logs. That's already enough work for them. But f- you know, for my own case, like if I'm working on something for a presentation, of course I can come up with my own graph and track whatever it is. You know, length of interactions with the partner, if that was the goal, or you know, uh, how many times a week the person worked out, because we get a lot of exercise type things. Um, You know, those kinds of things, and I could track them however I want cumulatively on a step. You know, I know Joe likes uh, those step graphs, like if they met uh, the sub goal, it goes up. If not, it stays flat. If we have to move back, just like, again, like in program instruction, if we move back, then it goes down, but then it goes back up. So you can you can get creative in how you track it as long as not skip down, but to skip down just for a second to the monitoring progress part, just so that you can actually have some, some visual feedback of like, all right, I'm getting this much closer. I've, I've, I've progressed this much. So you can have an idea of that as the person doing it. And so the client can have an idea of where are we in this program? And I might actually you know, gaining some, some momentum here from where I started so they can see how far along they are in the program. So yeah, you can get creative with how you graph it, but for parents, you know, I'm sure this would be a good question for Joe. He might've had people track that before, but I know the logs are the consistent thing that they'll always be uh, assigned to do.
0: Cool. Cause yeah, I mean, they, they really are a little overwhelming. Um, I know we've Shaped up some of the behaviors and we've modified them to make it easier. But a uh, complete one is it's a lot of info I and mean, it can take a lot of time. But like you said, it's valuable, it provides multiple functions, and we can have a lot of different opportunities for teaching and, and data collection within it.
1: Mm-hmm. Sweet.
0: Okay, so we've moving on to then, so we put these change things in place. And this is the fun one because a lot of us, um, I know myself included. Can get very stuck on contrived reinforcers um it's real easy to be like you know for certain ages let's do a token chart or let's do a sticker chart um let's do you know something like we'll earn and go get a you know a milkshake afterwards or something like that but like these are complex repertoires and a lot of times these are very complex human and a skittle's not going to cut it so Mm -hmm. and if we're dealing with humans who are already, we'll say, quote unquote, depressed. And so therefore they're not finding a lot of reinforcement in their life naturally already. Again, otherwise they wouldn't be here. Um, so what does that look like? Because I mean, it's not, it's definitely not as easy as just doing a reinforcement survey, because at this point, if I'm feeling sad, nothing is fun. I hate everything. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. And 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 I want to just address the contriving forces for a second, because I feel like, Some people think like there's no place for them in the instructional approach, but it really all depends on the program you're doing. So I know Joe likes using the reading example. So so when when you're teaching someone to read, of course, the ultimate consequence that you want reading to be under the control of is the information you're getting from the book, right? Like that's, that's what you want it to be. You want like reading more to be a reinforcer for reading more. But if I'm teaching reading to a kid who isn't gonna access that consequence today, then we can use some contrived reinforcers to get that behavior going. The important thing is to to program for and to keep in mind that at the end of the day, we do want this behavior to be under the control of the correct reinforcer, which is the naturally occurring reinforcer that goes with whatever the thing is. So to start off with, especially in situations like that where they can't access that terminal reinforcer, there, there can be a place for them. But so as it relates to things like with, with adults and parents, you want it to be a reinforcer that's related to the thing. So interaction with your significant other or with someone who lives in your house is a common one that, that I deal with. And so you want that to be the reinforcer. I, I want you to come back and be like, yeah, we had two interactions, just two, but they were really nice. Like, you know, I feel like we haven't had a talk like this in a while. Perfect, right? That's And that's the reinforcer. I'm not going to sit here and be like, yeah, good job, and like cheer them on. I, I'm not a very cheery person in general, and that's okay because I don't want that to be their reinforcer. I don't want them to come looking for me to say good job. I want them to already come in and be satisfied that I met this goal. I actually had two pleasant interactions this week. So we want it to be what we call program intrinsic, built in in the program, not anything, not program extrinsic, not anything we need to superimpose and add other contingencies on top. Like if you do this, you get this. No, if you do this, the reinforcer should come from it if that's actually the thing that you're after. So we don't actually program for. Uh, reinforcers to come from us. We just try to make sure that they come into contact with that reinforcer that they're after from the first place in their own environment and the ecology in which they exist and their contingencies exist.
0: Awesome. Cause that leads into how is it going to maintain? So that way, again, they don't have to come to you every time to be like, oh, hooray, a WAP thinks I'm wonderful, mm-hmm. which I mean, that's nice, you know, icing on the cake and everything, but <laughs> that shouldn't be what maintains. It should be like, I did an awesome thing. I'm amazing. You know, we had a great conversation or I went out and did the social thing. I sent the email and that's what gives that, you know, yeah. that more intrinsic reinforcement. Um, So we've talked a bit about like monitoring the logs and everything. And you said, as they're going through the program. So this is something I do think that's interesting is there's, there's, there is like a cap to the end of it. So it's not just like, um, you know cuz i feel when you're working with littles like i'm going to be working with you until get you age out essentially um or in like working with adults in our particular funding sources i probably will rarely discharge somebody just because of the nature of of the way the the mandates and the funding sources are but like with this it seems like you do have kind of an, there there is an end to it um so when you're monitoring and everything what does that kind of shift look like so this kind of goes into our, our last component of
1: yeah. Ideally you would want the the ultimate outcome to be two things. Did they get what they came here for? So that first question, you know, if, if you if you were successful in this program, what would your life look like? When their life starts approximating that and you can see it moving that direction, that's the first element. The second element I've also mentioned before that. Gold Diamond really stresses in his chapter in social casework is the part of we want them to be their own contingency analyst by the end. Now they don't have to have our jargon and we wouldn't want them to because it's not great but can you can can they see their life as we see it with, with a contingency analysis right so Gold Diamond talked about insight when your clients have insight is when they talk about and see their life the way you see it. so when that when that uh, parent came in that I talked about earlier and pulled out the logs, that's a sign. All right. So we're getting there. She knew that this was time to use this log. So she did the log. The the Gold Diamond case that I mentioned earlier with the the schizophrenic patient, that also, oh, there you go. All right. So he's taking control of their own life and they're picking up on these SDs and they know what to do next. So once they have that repertoire and they got to or are on the way and getting close to the thing that they came to you for, then it's time to start thinking about, all right, this thing is coming to an end, you should be able to, to, to handle this on your own. We gave you the repertoires that you came here for.
0: I like, yeah, I, I think that's, it's the beautiful thing of it. it is, is we're not just looking at what the assessments tell us. We're not just looking at what the other, you know, not going to say research, that's a terrible thing to say, but like, it's not like an infographic. It's not like we've just ticked off the boxes. It really is matching this is what she wanted. And, and as you get closer to it, or you realize like you're not making progress, let's rethink this. Maybe your dream isn't really your dream. Like this girl who wanted to go into marketing and all of a sudden realizes Mm -hmm. like, this is terrible, boring. Um, I'm not going to, you know, blast the business people or anything, but that's not the first time (laughs) I've heard that in a constructional world. Um, There's been a few of our students that have come through that were like, yeah, business is really tough. I don't like this. (laughs) Um, But like you said, it's, Until you experience it. And it's this freeing moment of like, oh, I don't have to follow it just because I committed to it. Like, if it's going to make me miserable for the rest of the life, like, is this what I want to do? No, no. I I hope you don't want to be miserable for the rest of your life. And then you can start teasing apart like, okay, so what are the things that, you know, bring me joy or that Mm -hmm. keep me calm or make me feel accepted or safe and things like that. And you can start putting together what that picture actually looks like. So for some of these parents, it's being able to have a quiet dinner at home, or being able to go to a birthday party at a friend's house. Being invited to a birthday party, kind of deal.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And and the 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 behavior, you know, being your own contingency analyst part is really, you know, it's built in through the program. So, like I said, when we talk about logs, and we're we're really having people start to notice these things, and so, so that they can see the pattern. So, one of the examples that's mentioned in the book, and the book opens up with with a quote directly from one of Joe's clients from back in the day who was having, having hallucinations and delusions. One of the, um, the, the examples that she had was she would have uh, the hallucination of her head falling off. And, and the, the logs were again used there and they were kept by her to, for her to see, so when is this happening? Like what's going on around you when this happens and what happens right after? And, and she ends up noticing that this usually happens when I'm, so she was living in a group home type setting. And it usually happens when I'm sitting in a room, I'm feeling crowded and I really want to be alone. And I start feeling like my head is about to fall off. And then she goes into the whole pattern. Everyone runs out of the, the room and she's left alone. So now again, you step in, and you're like, all right, so. What were you after in that situation? Well, it sounds like you were after just having a little alone time and, and, and quiet. So are there other ways we can do that? And then you start building the repertoire of, well, can you just walk to your own room and just hang out there for a little bit? Can you ask people calmly to like see if they can leave or if they can lower their voices? So it's really, it's all throughout the program, having people start notice the, noticing these things in their lives and what they're getting them and how can they get those things through less costly ways.
2: You know, Wab, something interesting is that even with learners with cerebral palsy, them keeping logs, they were finding out that spasms were showing up under certain conditions. So mm-hmm. something that would appear to be a medical, like something that's strictly medical, was turning out to be operant, which was really cool.
1: Yeah, for, yeah, I mentioned earlier the Tourette's example from Gold Diamond. Yeah, that's, again, that's one that's very much biological. But again, operant contingencies are everywhere, right? So they, they end up taking over a lot of patterns that might have came from other sources of, of, of control, but they get end up getting swamped by these operant contingencies. So an operant contingency analysis is always a good thing to do and just see, are these things starting to pay off in different ways and now coming under control of these contingencies?
0: Stimulus transfer is fascinating because it's not just like going from a red crayon to a red, you know, sign. Mm. There's other things in the environment that can randomly gain control, and you're like, "What?" But that's the joys of human and complex behavior. Um, yeah. So, one of the questions that came up in the chat, which I'm actually really digging, um, people are having this great little conversation, is: Have there has there been any work looking at multiple family members or multiple units within a group um, taking their constructional logs and kind of having that comparison. Um, Cause you know, every, we all have different experiences. Uh, you know, it's, I may go on a trip and think that this was the best trip ever. And um, I just realized I don't have a sibling. Um, if I had a sibling, they might think that it's terrible. Um, but our, our memories quote unquote, are remembering differently. So is there any research looking at that? Is that something that you've played around with?
1: That's a great question. And I don't know of any like specific research looking at that, but it it definitely is done. So the constructional questionnaire, which all these questions that I've been mentioning come from, um, you know, and I can think of some uh, examples in the the consulting world. So like some of the organizational examples, when Joe's called into a hospital to deal with an issue, he goes around and does the constructional interview with several of the people at the hospital and gets their take on the same issue from a lot of different places and trying to see everyone's contingencies at the same time. And how can I come to a resolution of this based on all of this? Um, So ideally, and of course I can see this being totally relevant, like doing that and doing the logs from the perspective of both parents and even of a sibling or something. I mean, that's only giving you more information. So yeah, it it sounds great. And I know it's done uh, in the, in the consulting world, but explicit research on it I'm not I can't come off come up something off the top of my head cool
0: all right creative people go forth and uh there's a research project thesis dissertation for somebody out there um and as for funded PhD programs um take a listen to our episode on rural communities because uh there's a couple of offers in there um I'll throw that out there and I'll throw you some additional information um here in a sec so we've unpacked a lot of things with this. We've talked about the, the parent training side of it. We've talked about, you know, a little bit of the nonlinear side of things because, I mean, that's a whole different beast that we can tackle on a different day. Um, is there anything else that you kind of want to summarize with what we've been going um, over before I give it up to the rest of the, the group for additional questions or commentary?
1: Um, I, I do feel like we covered a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, the, the one point that I really want to stress is that this isn't specific to a certain population, this isn't specific to a certain problem, and this isn't even specific to problems in general, right? Like this can also be, if you want to establish something, like, well, I don't really have a problem, but I want to play guitar more, or I want to, you know, pick up this hobby or something. You can, this stuff also applies there. So just the the the, universe, the universality of it all, I think is something that I really wanted to, to push and just say, you know, to, to, plug the book one more time here. Um, you, it really, you're, you're, you're taken through a lot. It's, it's a good book to sample different areas. So like you're taken through the constructional approach and what does it mean to be constructional? And then we d- dive more into nonlinear construction, um, contingency analysis, which again, that might be its own thing one day um, because it's so, it's a complex topic that will take probably just as much time or more as the constructional approach. But so we, we touch on that and then we talk about the constructional approach as it compares to other approaches, right? So there's there's a lot of approaches out there and they're only increasing to, to help people, like whether we're talking the clinical population like ACT and DBT and FAP and all the, all the approaches that are out there, what they call the third wave uh, behavioral approaches. So we really go into like distinguishing what's different about the constructional approach and nonlinear contingency analysis as it compares to those. And then we talk about the measurement of outcomes and how do we actually measure did these people come and get what they were after you know we're 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 not really for the use of you know questionnaires or filling in bubbles to see if this person improved did they get what they're after like are there some behaviors that I can observe here like did they leave me doing something that they wanted to do rather than just depending on on that and we go into response bias a little bit and, and how that can influence those types of measures in the book and then I saw, you know, I've been trying not to pay too much attention to the chat because it pops up so much and it distracts me. But I saw something about the appendices and really the appendices in the book are about as big as the book itself. So there's a guide to the constructional questionnaire that you can find that not only lists every question, but goes through, like, what do you want out of this question? What kind of information? That's very helpful. And then we have a chapter. Yeah, And we have a chapter that was actually taken from and reprinted from the Social Casework book, a chapter written by Gold Diamond. That's a whole case study of one person. The chapter is called Mr. Smith. Um, And then there's a tutorial at the end that's very helpful if you want to get introduced to like the let's call it Gold Diamond's version of behavior analysis. Like if you want to learn more about the the complex stimulus control of dimensional control and instructional control and abstractional control and and really get a rundown of that, there's a tutorial at the end that's very informative and it will walk you through that consequential contingency and what it looks like and defining what a contingency even is. Um, Beyond that, I, I feel like I'm tapped out. So if there's any other questions or anything, go ahead.
0: Oh that was a beautiful summary of the book. Um one of the questions that popped up was so, in looking at like hospitals um, and they're taking logs, is it the the patient that's taking the log, or is it the individuals working with that patient that are taking the logs?
1: Do you are you talking about the example that I? I
0: think with was- Joe's example.
1: Oh no, no, I, you know, I'm not even sure if there were logs involved there. I think that was more of a constructional questionnaire thing. That was an organ. I was using that example as an organizational case, so it wasn't with the patients. This was an organizational thing. Uh, I believe it was like a. Like, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not remembering off the top of my head right now the details of it, but it was an organizational issue that they consulted with Joe about. And he did the constructional questionnaire with the the people who were in charge there to make sure everyone's on the same page and that he can come up with a resolution to all of it. So that was more what I was going for there.
0: Okay, Um, I hope that answers the question, Holly. So and I can see. Yeah, because it's similar, like I said, with a lot of us working with clients and and parents or caregivers and an individual regardless of their age. Like sometimes that individual may not have the skill set or the repertoire to be able to fill out a constructional log. But the people that are around them, you know, we can at least tailor it to were they crying, were they, you know, were there real tears, were there tears, were there no tears? Where's there and and that way we're able to at least, you know, get some data. Um, Yeah. Because that's the joy. It's like you said it's creative.
1: yeah, it's not limited to like only people who can fill out the log and answer the questionnaire. You know, you can ask the caregivers, you can ask the parents, you can ask whoever's in charge of the place. You can take them through that constructional questionnaire and you can have them log some of the stuff the person themselves are able to, to log. So yeah, it's, it's not limited to that at all um, because there are a lot of cases. And again, I mentioned in the beginning, animal trainers are really big into this, right? And you can't do a constructional questionnaire well maybe you can if you're really creative, but with an animal, but you usually do it with the the owner of the pet or with the zookeeper if you're working at a zoo and you ask them, okay, so this animal's pacing all day, cool, and you, you don't want that anymore, but what would you want that animal to be doing, right? So, it's, so you would ask those questions to the person in charge of the other organism that we're talking about. So it's definitely not limited to just people who can fill logs and answer questions. No, because
0: just the whole concept of, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to, what do you want to be in five years? Where do you want to be in 10 years? Um, I've gotten to a point with a lot of my clients when I take them on, that's kind of the question we have is, you know, if all things go well and we make progress, whatever that looks like, um, where are we in a year? And it, it makes me think too, because it's not just as easy as like, okay, well, we'll, we'll get rid of head hitting and we'll increase communication and woo, look, mm-hmm. we're done. It's more of like, no, 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 Because once I mean, we can get into cusps now with this thing too, of like, because once you start building on their repertoires, oh no, they, you know, maybe they learn how to drive a car or ride a bike. And now they're able to go and access other social things or have right. a job. Like it's, it's limitless. Um, and that's yeah. super like why I dig this quote unquote side of behavior analysis or the way that this is it's presented um because i i feel like it is a lot more broad um and it gives a lot more opportunities to be creative to think outside the box to really to analyze and not mm-hmm. just look at what an abc contingency is like it's not just there was a stop sign i stopped and then i didn't get a ticket cuz the cop was there like you know things like that it's it's we're complex you know let's give ourselves yeah. some credit here
1: yeah I agree with all of that.
0: And Vorner, um, if I pronounce your name wrong, please correct me at some point. Um, just put a really good comment of uh, the critical ethical component is that it's not just what do you want them to do? But what do mm-hmm. they want to do? Cause it's not about my contingencies. Like, yes, I want them to have a great life and everything, but at the same time, like I have to be unbiased and check myself and make sure that I'm not projecting any of my own, you know, values or goals. And that I'm really listening to what my client says. Um,
1: For sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and every time you do one of these and you go in to ask these questions, you kind of have to like take a backseat to listen to what they want. Like you're, you're not going in like, well, I think this is how a family should run. So this is what you should be after. Like, not at all. It's what does that look like for you? Like, what does family time look like for you? It's, it's, it is very much individualized and and it's whatever they're after. For sure.
0: Because again, if if the environment is not ready for behavior analysis, then we're not going to be able to make any changes or progress. And we have to know what that environment really looks like, which you all thought I forgot, Maybe. How do we get around this whole thing with like constructional logs are self reports? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> All right. So please <laughs> go ahead and, and talk about, you know, what that process looks like with, with not just the creation of the log, but with like working with the individuals and why we are able to rely on this kind of data.
1: Well, I don't know. It's an interesting question when it comes up because like, someone's writing something down all the time. So, I mean, even when a scientist is writing something down, that's still self-report. But beyond that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, all behavior is rational. So if someone's coming to me and lying, then then now I'm questioning myself. Like, am I being punishing when they come and tell me the truth? Like, am I being too judgmental here? Like, it's, and again, if they're coming to you, it's all in the contingencies, right? If they're coming to you to establish something, and the, and the reinforcers you're trying to program for are in the thing itself, then, I mean, I don't see a point for lying there. Like the contingencies just aren't present for you to try to lie and escape or avoid something from me. So, so just like with everything else that we deal with, their self-report behavior is also under contingencies. And a lot of those contingencies I'm under the control of because, or are under my control because I'm the one assigning the logs. So I just make sure that whatever they bring me, I look at, it and I'm looking at it objectively. I'm not, ju- I'm, not, I'm not judging it. I'm not like, oh, you didn't fill these out. Make sure you write a lot more next week. This isn't enough. And now they're going to have to lie and fluff it up, right? So it's, it's just like with everything else. It's all about the contingencies. And if, this, if, the, if the contingencies are set up in a way that's a positive reinforcement type deal, and the goals are actually things that they're after and they want to accomplish, then why would they lie?
0: That's always, it's always how I've described it. And it's like, really? And then, but again, not, it's not until you're sitting in there and, or you're taking data on yourself. Cause again, I can fill out my little, you know, if I do a habit tracker or whatever, yeah, I can, I can lie on that, but what's the, what's the point? um Someone just put, yeah, yeah, the stimulus controls wrong. Like it's not. Who, who does it benefit the people online that I might be showing? Okay. That's a whole, and that's a whole different set of contingencies that we would be getting into. So mm-hmm. yeah, if someone's coming and asking for help, it's, you know, part of our, our goal is to provide them in ways and, and, and help them learn how to help themselves. So yeah, you can yeah. buy the first little bits, but you're not going to see any gain, which means either I have to change mine as the participant, or I have to talk to the person I'm working with and be like, yo, maybe what do we need to do to change this up? And we go from there, you know, anytime. Yeah, I, I, oh, Go ahead.
1: I, I try to keep it like an exploratory attitude type of thing. Like we're on this journey for you to find these things in your life. So again, like, you know, lying just isn't potentiated in that kind of thing. Cause there's not a lot of pressure on them to like, You need to provide all of this, and then they have you know you're 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 sitting there and you're like I'm just here to like talk with you through the stuff that you're writing for your own good about your own life. Like it's not you're really not setting up the conditions, or at least ideally the conditions won't be set up to where lying would even be relevant, or or it it won't pay off. You know there there wouldn't be really a point for it.
0: Um, I had a couple more thoughts, and then I figure we'll see if there's anything else going on in the chat. Um, when we talk about like resources, um it, it's something that I've really started to see more again, working with older clients, because a lot of these families have exhausted their monetary resources. Um, when the pandemic happened, a lot of them didn't have access to the internet or at least a stable internet, if any internet, um, or a computer in some cases. So like anything was done on the phone. Um so when you're working on those kind of you know more difficult discussions, what does that kind of look like? Is it just a, again, just a discussion with them? Um, are you looking through the logs or is there anything more specific that you might be um, investigating to kind of pull out that information? Because again, you've, you've got to have at least three environments.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you really do got to get creative in those cases. And And like we were talking about, like it is specific to every case. So yeah, I mean, you you, you try to take a problem solving type attitude around these things. Okay, you don't have internet. Is there anyone you know who has internet where you might use it? Is there a library close by? Do you have any library memberships? Do you have um, um, you know, is it feasible for you to go sit at Starbucks for an hour while the kids are at school to use the Wi-Fi there? Is there, you know, you, you really sit and try to dig deep into what are these resources that you have, you know, as it relates to your goal? So, you know, I ask things like, you know, who who are some people who help you out? And a lot of times you'll hear, well, this person usually is is willing to to babysit for me, right? So, okay, great resource. We we can make sure to keep that one in mind and note that one down so we can uh, use that in the future. So whatever the goal is, we're just asking for resources around it, asking, you know, who is your community? Who are people who have helped you in the past? Who are people who are willing to help? And, And get that picture and then see how can we incorporate these people? But yeah, a lot of inquiry and problem solving into like, how can we get this thing? How can we get close to this thing? Like who are, if you don't have direct access to the the someone you know, have access to it. So yeah, I mean, you just, you gotta get creative and you, you make it a problem solving type of thing where let's sit down and problem solve this and figure out how we can get to this thing that we're after.
0: And that's a beautiful skill to have, because again, if we're building our own, you know, contingency analysts here, they have to be able to problem solve and realize that it's not,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, the, the analysis paralysis of like, oh my gosh, I can't do anything. No, no, no. Take a step back. What have we tried in the past? I've been mm-hmm. in these situations before. What has worked before? Let's go through and figure it out. Um, so yeah, I, I,
1: yeah.
0: I, I dig. So One last question. And then for um, everybody's sake of time, because I know we've gone well into about an hour and a half. um, And I thank you so much for sticking around, guys. Um, The last thing is the three environments. So we've brought it up. Um, I know for me, I'll give my response and then I'll have you answer a while in a much more articulate manner is um, I was really needing to have environments that were not just work environments because my reinforcement levels had dropped really low. (laughs) And so it was Jesus's reminder that I needed to have some social things and things that were not just work related. And I needed to have like work, home, and fun. And I didn't need to to blend them all the time. Cause that was starting to happen too. Of like, there was no, you know, work and fun were kind of mixing and then home and work. Were, Cause I just lived in the department for a while is what it felt like. So that was, that's how I interpreted my having three environments. So if you could give a more articulate response, please.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, first of all, that was articulate and, Anytime you quote Jesus, I'm going to love it. So that was great. Um, But so, yeah, so it's interesting with, and I'm, you know, I'm talking about parents a lot, because that's where I'm working right now. But it's interesting how involved you get, or not you, but parents get in, uh, in that community, because it is a lot to take on. So other environments kind of go out the window because I have my hands full here. So, so the question becomes, what were some of your environments, right? Because you're trying to go to the past and see what are things you enjoyed? Like, what are some hobbies? like, And then think about and plan for how can we implement some of that, right? Because a lot of times you really get to the point where these people aren't thinking about themselves a lot. Like they're thinking about their family. They're thinking about their home. They're keep thinking about keeping all that stuff in order to where, they kind of become last in line, right? Lowest priority is me. But for you to keep running that show, you need to be at a ha- in, in a happy place, right? So we really try to identify what are some things you like enjoying? Like when was the last time you had fun? What are some things as it's, it's worded in the, in the interview, what are some things that send you, right? What are things that you really enjoy that are really fun? And then are you doing them? Great, when are you doing them? If not, the next question is, what do you find yourself doing instead? So you can start, again, programming for, well, can we kind of push these two things apart, speaking of stimulus control? And when you're in this stimulus control, you do this. But how about for these few minutes a day? wherever, whatever it is we're starting with, you go and do your, your, your thing. You used to enjoy walks. Well, I know you don't have that much time, but it seems like in your logs, there's that little gap there. Can you take just a little walk, even if it's just around the house, just to get that routine started? So yeah, you search for those environments within the logs. Sometimes you have to go back in history if they seem like they're not present right now to try to reinstate them and bring them back. And that's, that's how I go about it.
0: Sweet. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. All right, guys. So I think I'm uh, kind of watching the chat slow down a little bit. So I think we've come to the end. Um, I have appreciated the absolute crap out of this. Um, I hope you guys have too. I'm so excited. We finally got to sit down and talk about this. And I hope I'm crossing fingers to have more talks. Because um, yeah, nonlinear constructional approach, um, it's, it's great across the board. Um, and it's, I don't want to say it's easy to learn. Um, but I do find it to be easily adaptable to a lot of different environments and settings and participants if you want to look at it like that. So again, thank you guys so much. I am going to put our info for CES uh, in the chat. So you will see that uh, you can go to our website. So I will leave it in there. Um, Put your name, put your email, wherever you want me to send your certificate. Please put your BACB number, which is the one with the dashes. So it's like if you're an OG, it's like one dash one dash one 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 because that's fun. Um, and if you're, you know, a BACB, I found out it's like a zero or a two. It's a little bit different. That was fun. So yeah. So. Uh, check out our website. Um, this is, like I said, the audio was recorded on this. So if you, um, haven't subscribed to our pages yet, please do that way. You can keep up with all the stuff we've got coming up. We have a talk with uh tire sellers coming up at the end of the month, um, as well. And then our April schedule, April, mm, skipping March, apparently March, uh, is going to be super fun too. So keep in touch everybody. Um, like I said, if you need CEs, check out the link, um, Otherwise, thank you all. Awab, thank you so so much yet again. And yeah. Yeah, you're awab. welcome. Thanks for having me. Cheers. All right. I love you all good humans. Be nice to the other humans. Be kind. I love you and we'll see you next time. Bye. All right. I never really have a fun little quirky intro when we do the follow-up ones. Um Though this one I feel like is ATBA after dark because um, we're actually recording in the evening and we don't do a lot of evening recordings. So that'll be fun. Um, but yeah, I am here with Awab again. Um, we had a live talk recently. So if you were able to make that, that's awesome. Um, if you didn't, then you should make sure that you listen to the episode beforehand. Um, and what we're going to do today is we took a look through the chat log, and there's a few things that Awab wanted to touch base on and give some more examples um, and a little bit more discussion. And so we're just going to kind of go through um, some of the things that were said and then other thoughts that Awab had afterwards. Um, And yeah, so welcome back.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I just want to touch on a few things from the questions that came up in the chat and a few things that I just forgot to mention. So one quick thing about uh, when I was talking about the history of Dr. Israel Gold Diamond, uh, I forgot to talk about his work on stuttering in his early days, uh, because that was a big part of his history is just um, working with people who had stuttering problems and really you can see a lot of the constructional approach there because it was never their target to eliminate the stuttering. They just taught these people a pattern of fluid, fluent speech that they can use, but the stuttering, so to speak, the stuttering repertoire was still there. It can still come out when it was needed, but they taught a more fluid way to speak that was more, you know, effective. Um, and, and it was just a, a really good example of How you can take a problem that not a lot of people think or talk about, but you can apply this constructional approach and teach a brand new repertoire that meets the requirements that these people are facing without ever targeting the reduction of something else. Uh, So I just wanted to make sure I mentioned that.
0: That's really cool because, I mean, it's such... I mean think about the social mediation that goes along with that because you know stuttering it can cause you to you know you never answer or ask questions in classrooms or in job places because you're afraid of it and if you go and I say you know target it it feels like oh there's something wrong with me but this flips mm-hmm. the script on it and it's like no, no 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 you just you're just missing some part of your
1: repertoire and we can add that yeah that's exactly. cool that's so cool mm-hmm. yeah so I wanted to point that out. And then the other thing, cause this was seemed like a, a thing that came up a couple of times about the whole um, self report and like, you know, how do we know if what people are reporting is accurate and that kind of thing. Um, you know, other than what I already mentioned in the first part, when I talked about the contingencies and just setting it up to where there would be no reason for them to lie or to, you know, for the self-report to to be inaccurate. The other thing is that you can ask for verifications of certain things. So, for example, if I'm working on a program for someone who, like, I want them to increase or, or they want to increase their outings and they want to go out more and do things more, you can ask them to bring back things like a program from a play at a theater or a, you know, and this was back in the day from examples from Joe and Paul. But these days, I mean, you can ask for a selfie, right? I mean, it could be something that easy, especially with technology, to where, oh, cool! You say that you know this week you have. I see that you have planned that you're going to go and do this hike. Get a couple selfies so we can look at them in session next time. So it would be easy to incorporate little things like that to add more val- validity to the log, especially if you have reason to doubt them at any point. Um, so, so it's not. Um, it's not something that's unverifiable and there's ways to to get around that regardless of what the situation is i know paul once i mentioned that he had a, a client who was uh, working on a health program uh, as it relates to what he ate and for some reason the person wasn't able to log so he would just like collect the um he would snack a lot and he would collect the um like the wrappers of the things that he ate in a look you know those orange envelopes those big ones collect them and bring them to session so there's ways one can get creative around this to make sure you know i'm getting accurate information so i just i wanted to touch on that point because it came up a little bit last time
0: i always like any opportunity to get creative with programming yeah it's a little bit of fun flair and it really gets the person invested in it Mm -hmm. so and i like the idea of the accountability so you know you have to bring this back to me and yeah, it's a nice, it's a low response, low response cost.
1: Yeah, and, and it just verifies and adds validity to what you were uh, getting. Um, and then the other thing, I saw a question and then some follow-up comments about it also about the, um, someone asked about the use of logs for interlocking contingencies for family units or couples. Um well you know the first of all the, the point of logging is already to capture this right i mean usually when you're logging it's not just you it's you in an environment which is why there's usually a column for um, audience or who else was there kind of thing so so you're you're naturally trying to to capture these transactions or interactions with other people already but if if people are interested more specifically as it comes to working with families or couples um, there's a few places that we mention examples in the book, but if you want more on that, you, um, and I'll, I'll provide all these citations and references, but there's um, a chapter from 1984 by Gold Diamond called Training Parent Trainers and Ethicists in Nonlinear Analysis of Behavior. And I mentioned this earlier in the first part, the bulimia case, but in that case, her husband was involved. Uh, and then he talks about several other examples where. Uh, sections or the whole family was involved. So that would be another uh, a good place to look. And also an, a 1965 paper about self-control by Gold Diamond. He mentions two marital cases where he was meeting with both uh, the people involved. And, and both people had something to do. So you can look at those to see a little bit more about how that works. And then of course, we have even logs that are called interaction logs. So if you are specifically looking at interaction between two people and you want to capture that interlock, you can always assign that and say, all right, I've seen a lot with the event logs, but I can see that we need to focus on your relationship with X. So here's these interaction logs and you're going to fill in every time you interact, how the conversation goes go how many back and forth was there how did you feel and you can really gather that data so it's kind of already there and there's even more specific tools and more specific examples a lot of them are mentioned in the books in the book and also there's these references that i just mentioned which are also in the book and um one of the examples in the book also, when it comes to people logging for other people or to figure out the function of other people's behaviors, there's the example of the, the person who was t- the caregiver for her mom, that one's also mentioned in the book. And she was the one trying to analyze the contingencies because her mom had a chronic illness and was having some hallucinations and delusions. And she, was the, she had to become the contingency analyst in that case to figure out what these mean. And we go through actually some of her observations and how these things were resolved in one of the chapters in the book. So these are just some examples of like how these logs capture a lot more than just the person themselves.
0: Okay, here's the second of your two key words. The second word is logs. L-O-G-S. Data can be gathered from the constructional logs. In a pretty natural way, too, and without asking a lot of, you know, what can feel like probing questions. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I really like the point of, you know, looking at the audience and the environment, um, and especially thinking about like married couples, you know, nothing ever changes, I suppose, um, because this is the 60s. And so, you know, obviously, we're going strong here. But it's, you know, people's perceptions and being able to understand that, like, this person does not see things the same way that I do. And so it's like, well, I have my log, we both experience the same event and activity. And yet what you took out of it was completely different. And I think that's a hard thing for people. I mean, that's a hard thing for most of us to be able to figure out is that other people think differently. Mm -hmm. What? But when you have it in front of you, then you can start to pinpoint there and go, okay, so now we have a starting point to go and talk further and discuss like, what's our next steps with that? Mm -hmm. So I guess it actually leads me to what, what do some of those next steps look like? So once you guys start, you know, looking at, I guess the pain points of it, um, How would you kind of incorporate those those interactions and everything and move forward?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question because it really, the next question it brings up is who's your client? So, you know, if, if the client that I'm seeing is person X and they're reporting on their interactions with person Y, I, I don't have access to person Y. I only have access to person X. So that's where you really have to keep in mind being constructional, not just saying that other person, you know, they're just terrible people, they just don't get you. And really empowering this person by making them realize, so, so how is your interactions with this person what are they reinforcing what alternatives could you be reinforcing what do you want to shape up what 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 do you want this relationship to look like so you know if you're doing this with parents it can it can be about their own kids if you're doing it in a marital type situation it it can be about your significant other. So it dep- if it's a work situation, it can, you know, how do you want that work relationship to look like? So you would apply that same, you know, constructional questionnaire type line of thinking here and say, okay, so here's what we're seeing. And it looks like, you know, when this person is really throwing a fit, there's a lot of interactions. When they just come home and calmly sit down, there's not any interaction at all. What, what is this picture showing us here? What can we change about this? If you want to change anything. So so really, it comes back to being constructional, what does the person want, and having them start picking up on these relations uh, and and contingencies from the logs and seeing it themselves and developing that insight for themselves. Well said. That was, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. That was,
0: so there, we did have some comments about um, interactions with like caregivers and everything and how. Um, that can help affect that relationship too. Because as we see, you know, caregivers can get really stressed out. And when they're stressed out, that impacts how they're working with, you know, either their child or the individual that lives in the home um, or the facility. And yeah, it's, it's a really interesting thing to be able to see that, that relationship, Um, Mm -hmm. especially when the individual may not have the verbal repertoire to say, I don't like what's going on right now, or I do like what's going on right now. I think it's fun to you know, chase you around the house and or something like yeah. that. And so the caregiver is then able to kind of take that step back and be a little bit more objective, um, which is mm. tough. I mean, emotional responding happens.
1: Right. So. And looking at everyone's behavior as everyone's behavior makes sense. Right. And actually like finding how finding the how everyone's behavior is rational. And, and speaking of the caregivers, I also want to touch up on something here because it seemed like with the, I mentioned a hospital example with Joe um, and, and that seemed like there was a little confusion about it in the comments. So just to clear that up, there's a few uh, hospital examples. So I think those kind of got mixed in together. So let me just clear that up really quick. So I mentioned earlier, the, the first one I believe that I mentioned is a, a group group at an inpatient type facility that Joe ran back in the day in 1967, there's a paper on that. Again, I'm gonna um, provide the reference for that. The second hospital example was when the, the construction questionnaire was done with some key personnel and that one I'll provide the video link for and Joe talks about it in length about some resistance to implementing a new system. The last hospital example can be found in the book, and that's a quick, like, organizational, another organizational type uh, example of how the constructional approach can be applied with um, these frontline workers who were kind of short with customers, and some observations were done, and it turned out it wasn't a repertoire problem, these people were actually, had really good social skills They weren't coming out. It was all about the contingencies and the evaluations. And that whole example can be found in the book. So there's three separate hospital examples. And I hope this kind of clarified them up. The first one is the 1967 Joe paper. The second one is something else that Joe did in the hospital that I'm going to provide the the video reference for, for anyone interested in that. And then the third one is the one mentioned in chapter four in the book uh, about the front workers who were kind of short with customers and they wanted to intervene on that.
0: Cool. I, man, I'm going to throw this out to somebody. I feel like there's a good research project there for an OBMer.
1: Yeah, for sure. First, I mean, OBM is is an area where the constructional approach already is kind of being applied, but Mm -hmm. where it can be thoroughly applied. And you can see a lot of great results. And then one more thing when it comes to, um, the maintaining consequences, because I know that was a question uh, with like contrived reinforcers versus program specific type reinforcers. You know, the, the, the important thing to keep in mind here is when most people come and see, uh, come to see you for help, there's usually already a pattern that's happening. People would call it problem behavior, or you can call it a disturbing pattern. But there's a pattern already in place, which means there's something already maintaining it because if the behavior is happening, there's something happening to maintain that behavior. So the beauty of taking a constructional approach and coming up and trying to actually target these things that people want is, you know, if something is already holding up the disturbing pattern or the problem behavior, if you give that same consequence contingent on the, the, the behavior they now want that's more effective, You know, there would be no reason for the need of extrinsic reinforcers like the other behavior would just fall to the side. That's why we never target it for reduction, because if we give them a better way to access that critical consequence, there would be no more need for that old behavior. And you wouldn't have to worry about is this the right reinforcer if you tap that correctly from the beginning. And, and you got that contingent on that new repertoire that you're establishing, getting closer to that would be a reinforcer. And then, you know, ultimately getting there, that's your biggest reinforcer. And you don't need to worry about the extrinsic stuff.
0: That's a really cool description.
1: Yeah. I, I, really like I just that. wanted, I, yeah, I wanted to make sure I brought that up because it's interesting when you think of it uh, that way that there's already something maintaining that problem. Can we just, make that thing contingent upon the new repertoire that we're trying to establish.
0: Yeah. It's a much cleaner breakdown. And again, I like the fact you're not focusing on reducing this thing. It's again, let's build Mm -hmm. the repertoire. Let's shape new things. Um, Shaping is fun. You know, it's cool to build up new skills. That's why I think a lot of people work with young kids because young children acquire skills really quickly. Well, some of them do, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's fun to watch. And yeah, when we become adults, it's a lot harder for us to do that. And so being able to see, you know, what's maintaining this, you know, unwanted behavior and yeah, making, if you can get that link to where, okay, this is going to look really close it can be applied to a, you know, vast array of behaviors, you know?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah. So other than, other than that, I feel like that, those were the biggest points that, that I saw that I wanted to touch on and and clarify. And other than that, I just wanted to mention a couple more things. One thing that I mentioned throughout the talk was, you know, the people who were and still are very important to me in my behavior analysis career. So the the biggest players, and it takes a lot of people, of course, but the biggest ones were uh, Dr. Jesus Rosal Ruiz, uh, Dr. Joe Lang, and Dr. Paul Andronis. And I just wanted to make sure I take a moment to say, like, how important having that mentorship is, and uh, of course, having Jesus in the beginning and learning the the constructional approach there and then him connecting me to Paul and Joe and finally you know getting lucky enough to be a co-author on this book you know that it really it's great having these people and you know I'm still learning from them of course uh, every day as much as I can so I just wanted to make sure I explicitly add that in there and thank them all very much. Um, And then the last thing is we have, there's a couple of events coming up for people who are interested in learning more about nonlinear contingency analysis and the constructional approach. At the uh, Texas Association for Behavior Analysis at the conference, it's like near the end of April. Uh, Joe and I will be doing a workshop on the constructional approach where people actually like you know, interact and, and we'll have some activities set up for people to do things and, and and look at some things and try to come up with programs. And we're still working out what exactly all those activities will be, but it's going to be interactive and it's going to be fun for whoever's interested in coming to that. And then, of course, the big conference, ABBA, um, is coming up in May. And there's going to be a lot of uh, talks on constructional approaches to a lot of different areas. So I'm going to talk about the constructional approach with parents and then A lot of my colleagues are going to be talking about applications of it in other areas, like specifically parent training in autism. Um, My friend Lucero is going to be talking about that. And then we have Sean and Moss are going to be talking about animals. And then we have Anna Linehan and Paul Andronis going to be talking about emotions. And then Ascent, we have a whole project doing the concept analysis of Ascent through the lens of nonlinear contingency analysis and we've had like a team of people on it so myself and uh jonathan amy and uh rochelle yike and sheila click and anna linehan all of us have been putting a lot of time in this with some help from joe of course so and that's going to be presented there um so if you just search the word constructional at abba you won't be disappointed there's a lot that's going to be there this year um and yeah other than that and of course if you're interested go out and buy the nonlinear consistency analysis book <laughs> but that's the last plug i'll do and that's all i have
0: oh man okay one i love the concept of mentorship it's been this pervasive theme throughout a lot of our talks and we you know talk to our guests and everything so yes if you don't have a mentor find a mentor search find yeah. a network get a verbal community um you know, don't be, no man's an island, you know, there's, it's such a, yeah, you you shouldn't, it's just not okay, so yeah, reach out, we're always here, Um, but I mean, I'm not gonna lie, it's it's so exciting to hear like Searching Constructional now produces so many talks, because I remember an ABBA in Phoenix, oh, so many years ago, where it was like, I think we had maybe two talks, Um, And Mm. I was, I was the introductory person for one of them. I did not speak. Um, I just introduced people (laughs) and I was awful at it. So I'm so sorry, Dr. Andronis that I did not give you a very good (laughs) um, (laughs) introduction (laughs) for that talk, but I'm so excited about all of these talks Um, and especially on the topic of ascent Um, that's huge. So Yeah. um, yeah, that's really cool. So yeah, I'm so excited that we got to come back on and have a little chat and, um, yeah, that's cool. And we'll see you at ABBA then.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. Thanks again for having awesome. me. Awesome. Very cool. We'll talk to you later. All Love right. you
0: humans. Be kind to each other and we'll see you later.
3: Bye.
0: Oh man, listeners. I hope that you enjoyed that amazing talk from a while. Now, as promised, here's your preview clip from episode 27. Actual results may vary. A medication follow-up with Dr. Merrill Winston.
3: So, you know, cause the, the medicine doesn't know what behavior it's supposed to let happen and not happen. You know, they, they're not that smart, you know, they're not smart meds go to the biting center and paralyze it. Uh, you know, it doesn't go to the hallucination cortex, you know, it, it, no, 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 no. Maybe someday they'll base it on your DNA and they'll give you a drug that goes to like a specific site they mapped in your brain and then it'll do stuff that we're not there so for now you know there's just like little tiny capsules you swallow and then they do a whole bunch of things and then sometimes it has a desirable outcome that's what that's what pharmacology is today okay it's it's educated crapshoot so it's like well we're clearly not going to choose from that class although i know some people that have had some and then there's like off-label use right so that's how these things happen
0: Thank you for listening to this adventure of the Atypical Behavior Analyst. Check out the website atypicalba.com for more episodes, references, and to purchase CEUs. To stay up to date, like and follow us on social media. Just search Atypical Behavior Analyst. If you like the show, please rate and leave us a review. And if you want to support the show but don't need CEUs, you can help by clicking the Buy Us a Coffee link in the show notes. So until next time, listeners, grab your towel, keep exploring, and we'll see you in the fringes.